Acts chapter number 11, and we're going to begin in verse 19 with our scripture reading tonight and read the first few verses. And I thank God that you, um, you can give the gospel, whether you're young or old, whether you're man or woman, no matter where you're from, no matter what your situations are, there's always a way to give the gospel. I'm thankful for Maxine and her faithfulness to the Lord over these many years. And one of the beauty, uh, beautiful things about starting the Great Commission Saturday is that it's enabled those who can't go door to door to have an avenue and a way to be involved in our efforts on, um, on Saturdays with the gospel. And every now and then I'll poke my head in here and I will hear uh, the ladies in here praying for our church and praying for our soul winning efforts. And boy, uh, every soul that's saved, uh, there's a portion of that uh, reward in heaven that gets laid to your account for the efforts that you make. And Maxine, Miss Joan, or some of many in here praying on Saturdays and doing their part to help us with that. And uh, praise God for that. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter number 11, uh, verses 19 through 20. And before we read, it's good to continue to see some folks coming back in who haven't been here in a while. We had uh, Mike and Marie Monks here this morning for the first time in well over a year. And George Harvey is back tonight. And so welcome back, George. Good to have you in the building. And it's always, um, always a joy to run into you, to see you, been missing you, so we're glad to have you back. Verse 19 says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some, of them, uh, some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The title of the message this evening and the theme really of Acts chapter 11 is this, The Gospel Unleashed. The Gospel Unleashed. The leash is coming off the gospel, and the gospel is going to run its course all over the world. Um, we've seen little uh, pictures of this with the Ethiopian eunuch and then uh, with Cornelius, but now it's about to just explode worldwide. And we get a view of that here in Acts chapter 11, the very beginnings of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this evening for our church. Thank you for uh, all that it represents. Thank you for each person that makes up this church. Their love for you, their love for each other. Uh, Lord, I hope you look down on us as a church family and you smile. Lord, we're obviously not perfect and there are areas where we can improve. Uh, Lord, um, and we want to do that, but we pray that our heart is in the right place and that uh, as we continue to serve you and serve each other and serve our community, uh, Lord, that we would continue to have your approval. Lord, help us tonight to lock in to the message, to understand Acts chapter 11, and to be greatly challenged by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Many, many people will argue over the existence of God, the authenticity of the Bible, and or the reality of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. It is obvious that Satan wants to diminish and wants to dismiss each of these things uh, because they, these things, are more powerful than he is. What are those things again? The existence of God, more powerful than Satan. The authenticity of the Bible, more powerful than Satan. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, more powerful than Satan. These three things are under constant assault from Satan. There are many ways to go about proving the existence of God. Uh, there are many ways to support the authenticity of the Holy Bible. There are many ways to prove that Jesus did indeed raise from the dead. But maybe the easiest way to do this is by considering the power of the gospel message when it reaches into a new community. Wherever the gospel goes, wherever the gospel goes, there are plenty who may reject it, but there are also many who willingly embrace it. This goes all the way back uh, to Acts chapter number 2 and the Pentecost, uh, Sermon at Pentecost, and everywhere the gospel has gone. Since then, it has uh, gone and it has been like uh, a great uh, it, it has been like an incredible uh, force that's moved in and taken up residence and changed communities, changed cultures. In fact, when you unleash the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
The lost become found. The broken are made whole. The addicted are set free. The uncivilized find civility. Broken relationships are restored. The strongest argument for the gospel of Christ is the personal testimony of, of, those, uh, of those whose lives have been changed by it. Charles Bradlaw, in Avowed Infidel, once challenged the Reverend H.P. Hughes to a debate. The preacher who is head of a rescue mission in London, England, accepted the challenge with the condition that he could bring with him 100 men and women who would tell what had happened in their lives since trusting Christ as their Savior. They would be people who once lived in deep sin, some having come from poverty-stricken homes caused by the vices of their parents. Hughes said they would not only tell of their conversion, but would be submitted to cross-examination by any who doubted their stories. Furthermore, the minister invited uh, his opponent to bring a group of non-believers who could tell how they were helped by their lack of faith. When the appointed day arrived, the preacher came, accompanied by 100 transformed people. But Bradlaw never showed up. What was the result of this Debate this uh, this scheduled debate. Well, with a full venue, the meeting turned into a testimony time, and many sinners who had gathered to hear the scheduled debate were converted. In the first several chapters of the book of Acts, we find a very prejudiced Peter, who enthusiastically took the gospel to the Jewish nation, the Jewish brethren. In Acts eight, Peter begrudgingly goes to Samaria and endorses the Jesus movement among those who were, who were half Jew, half Gentile. Notice Peter didn't go to Samaria. Philip went to Samaria. Peter stayed locked down in a place of comfort in his prejudiced state, reaching the Jews. But once the gospel began to spread, the calls came, Peter and John were sent, and Peter did indeed endorse this movement, and the Holy Ghost fell on the Samaritans. And then in Acts chapter 10, the sermon we looked at last week, God had to knock Peter over the head with a vision in order to get him to go into the home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius and in order to get him to give Cornelius the gospel. Now, I want to pause and give Peter credit. Peter did indeed go. He could have been like Jonah and went the opposite direction and been prejudiced against uh, the, uh, Cornelius and Romans, but in, no, he didn't. He followed the leading of God. He gave in to the leading of God, and he preached the gospel to Cornelius, and everyone that was there gathered that was Gentile got saved. The gospel had been on a leash like a dog, and the reason why it wasn't reaching the Gentiles was because the early believers would not let it. The early believers had put the gospel in Jerusalem and said it's good for the Jews, but no one else. But let's not forget that Jesus said you need to be a witness to every creature, to the whole world. Why wasn't the gospel spread before Acts chapter 11? Well, because these folks had the gospel on a leash. And they did not want to let the gospel off the leash. You know, Christians today have the gospel of Christ on a leash. Sometimes we have the gospel on the leash of ignorance. We don't share the gospel because we don't know how to share the gospel. You know what that makes for? A really bad excuse. Really bad excuse. How many here today have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you? Would you raise your hand? Don't be ashamed. Hold it up. Amen? Do you know how it happened for you? Do you know? You know your story, right? Can you share your story with somebody? Can you tell them the condition you were in and how Jesus saved you? Uh, listen, uh, beyond that, do you know how to sit down with the Scripture and give an answer to every man that asketh? We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, this life-changing uh, 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 power, this power that's been unleashed since Jesus arose to heaven, this, uh, th this belief, this gospel that was preached in thousands and thousands of churches across the world. Uh, people all across the world today sat in a church somewhere and for the first time heard the gospel and believed and got saved. And right now they're at home and their lives are being transformed and their hearts are being uh, changed because they really 
realize for the first time that they're a new creature in Christ and that gospel message, the power of it, was unleashed this morning and people believe. Why? Because someone took the time to understand the gospel and to stand up and articulate the gospel. Someone climbed over the fence of ignorance, took the leash of ignorance off the gospel and let it go. And once it went, boy, uh, was it infectious. Boy, did it change hearts today. This morning, at the end of the service, Pastor Andrew sat right back here with a man named uh, Edwin who's been coming since Easter and walked him through the Scriptures. And Edwin put his uh, head down and he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save him. Do you know how Edwin got to church? Edwin got to church because his girlfriend, uh, LaToya, was invited by uh, Brother Kyle here uh, to come to church. And on Easter Sunday, LaToya walked in our church and she loved it. She brought Edwin and their children with her and they loved our church and they keep coming back. I sat back here with LaToya after church for about 20 minutes, tears running down her cheeks. And she said, every time I come here, I don't feel like I have to be someone special. I don't feel like I have to be someone different. I feel like I can come in the door and be LaToya. Toya and I'm loved here and this church is accepting of me and my boyfriend and you know what today as a result after a month and a half of sitting there Edwin bowed his head and he got saved the gospel unleashed you know all we really have to do the power does not lie within us the power lies within the gospel you let the gospel go and great things happen the leash of ignorance is one of the biggest reasons why people don't get saved we live in a country with a judeo-christian ethos a judeo-christian history but i'll tell you if you stop the average person on the street anywhere in america and you get down into the particulars of the gospel they don't know the gospel why is that why is that because Christians don't know how to explain the gospel. We have the gospel on the leash of ignorance. How about this one? The leash of laziness. The leash of laziness. Doesn't it bother you that your neighbor might die and go to hell? Does that bother you? Does it bother you that you have family and friends that if they die, they might go to hell? Paul said in, in, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. Because we know that eternity is coming, we're not going to hold the gospel on the leash of laziness and not tell the world, no, we're going to unleash the gospel and let it go. How about this one? The leash of fear. The leash of fear. Being afraid of what someone is going to think of us. You know, everywhere that Paul and Peter took the gospel, there were people who did not agree, people that did not believe, people that opposed, people that were spiteful, people that were mean, people that stepped on them. But you know what they didn't let? They didn't let the fear of the way other people were going to treat them or the fear of them making a fool of themselves or the fear of not knowing every answer to every question keep them from letting the gospel go and touch the lives of those that needed to hear it. Christians today have the gospel on the leash, a leash. How about the leash of comfortability? We'll see this one in our passage tonight. Sometimes we don't want to go because we don't want our comfort to be interrupted. Maybe we're comfortable in our shell. We're comfortable not talking to anyone else. We're comfortable just staying within our own, um, our own, our own comfort bubble. And the idea of moving outside of that is scary to us. Maybe we're not afraid to go out on Saturday morning, but we're too comfortable to go out on Saturday morning. And our schedule is too set and structured, and we don't want to take the time for that. You know, when we get to heaven one day, we're all going to have the same regret. Everybody's going to have the same regret. You know what that regret is? Why didn't I do more with the gospel? Every single person. Every person's going to wish they had done more. And you know why oftentimes we don't? Because we're in love with being comfortable. We've got the gospel on a leash. Now, I have a dog. I love my dog. My dog's name is Ginger. And um, my backyard is fenced in, but there's a spot where a tree has fallen onto my fence. And I'm not able to get that tree off of my fence, and so the fence is pushed down. And uh, we had built up some things around where that tree had fallen to try to keep Ginger in the yard. But as Ginger's gotten bigger, she's able to still hop over all of that and get out. So you know what we have to do when we take Ginger in our backyard? We have to have her on a leash. And you know, she's getting bigger and stronger. And if I'm not really holding on to that thing, she'll rip right out of my grip. 
and she's gone. She hops that fence, and there's all kinds of woods behind her house, and there's bobcats out there. There's wolves out there. I've got to really hold on to that leash because I love my dog. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is the most powerful force in the universe. And Christians hold on to that leash like they're afraid to let it go. Like they're afraid uh, uh, to see what it can do. My friend, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to the world's problems. We have to open our mouth and we have to unleash it. We have to let it go. The gospel unleashed. In Acts chapter number 11, the gospel's leash is removed and the evangelism of the rest of the world begins to happen in a profound way. Let's be clear, God is still mighty to save. The gospel works today just as effectively as it did in the book of Acts. Not everyone accepted the gospel in Peter and Paul's day and not everyone is going to accept it now. But plenty will and plenty do. The gospel works and we must take it off the leash and we must share it with anyone and everyone who will listen. Friends, we must take our eyes off of the news. We must take our eyes off of politics. We must take our eyes off current events. We must take our eyes off the injustices of the world. And we must get busy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world because the gospel is the answer to the world's problems. Amen? You believe that this evening? The gospel is the answer to the world's problems. Let's take it off the leash and let it go. We're going to look at four thoughts this evening. If you have that half sheet, I encourage you to take notes as we go. Let's hop right in here as we consider this truth of the gospel unleashed. Point number one, notice Peter scrutinized. Peter scrutinized. So uh, Peter, we know that he was in Cornelius' house eating with Cornelius, a Roman, a Gentile, spending time with him. And that didn't go over so well when he got back to Jerusalem in the Jerusalem church. Notice letter A, the confrontation. The confrontation. Look at verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 3. The Bible says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Now let me pause right there. That should have been a moment of celebration, should have it not? Hey, these Gentiles received the word of God. Hey, that's great. But that wasn't the response. Look at verse 2. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, these are Jews, contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them? Now, we saw last Sunday out of Acts chapter 10 um, that Peter declared his keeping company with the Roman Cornelius as illegal. He wasn't supposed to be in the house of a Gentile having dinner. The Jewish people were prejudiced against Gentiles. The fact that he even did that, Peter said, look, I'm breaking the law to even be here. Prejudice ran deep. It ran so deep in their Jewish culture that the idea of breaking bread with non-Jews was prohibited. When word got back to the elders of the church of Jerusalem that Peter had done so, this was viewed as scandalous. This was scandalous. You had a meal with Gentiles. Peter came back to the Jerusalem church and now he was called on the carpet for having gone and given the gospel to the Gentile dogs. They were not happy with him for what he had done. And so he's called in before a council and he's called to question. Now Peter was familiar with standing in front of councils, but not councils of the Jerusalem church. They were supposed to be his buddies. Letter B, notice the explanation. And so Peter's going to tell them exactly what happened. So verse 4 down through verse 17 is a recap of what we preached last week out of Acts chapter 10. Look at there with me. Verse number 4. Let's read down through verse 17. The Bible says, But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended, and it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon that which, I, uh, which when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw things and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my, into my mouth. But the voice answered uh, me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, thou that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already coming to the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me go with them. 
nothing doubting. Moreover, there, uh, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, uh, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look here. What was I that I could withstand God? He tells them the whole story about how Cornelius had his vision and how he had a vision and God was clearly trying to bring them together and he says, forget your laws. God was clearly uh, organizing this divine appointment and I was clearly supposed to go and meet with Cornelius and I was clearly supposed to (coughs) preach to him the gospel. Who is I to say no? And so Peter lays out the explanation. Letter C, we see their cooperation. Their cooperation. Now look at verse number 18 with me. When they, the council, heard these things, look here, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, look here, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now, I give the council a lot of credit here. This council is filled with men who are prejudiced. They're Jews. They have a problem with anyone that's not a Jew. They're upset over Peter having gone in and preached to Cornelius. And they call Peter in. And they're raking him over the coals for this. And Peter tells them this was of God. And you know what a lot of people who are carnal would do? You know what anyone who's carnal would do? They would have rejected Peter and called him a liar and said this wasn't true. That's not how they handled it. To their credit, once they heard the report from Peter, they set aside their prejudice and acknowledged that the Gentiles too were being welcomed into the family of God. The promise God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12 had been realized. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3, the Bible says, And I will bless them that bless thee, the Lord speaking to Abraham here, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee, Abraham, shall all families of the earth be blessed. I assume everyone here this evening is uh, at least some Gentile, if not all Gentile. Aren't you glad that because of Abraham and the birth of Jesus through the lineage of Abraham and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that you have been saved through the seed of Abraham and now you are blessed as a non-Jew because of the gospel, because of the life of Christ and the life of Abraham? Aren't you thankful for that this evening? Now, the Jews here wanted to kind of keep the gospel to themselves. They didn't want the gospel going out beyond Jerusalem. But God had other plans. And when Cornelius got saved, and word got back to the Jewish council that Cornelius had gotten saved, they weren't real happy about it. But when Peter explained things, they changed their tune. They changed their tune. You see, the Jewish church had the gospel on the leash of prejudice. And they took the gospel off the leash. And for that, I give them a lot of credit. I give them a lot of credit. Last week when we talked about prejudice, we spent a lot of time talking about prejudice in our culture. We talked about prejudice in the heart of people and where that comes from and why it happens. And I made this comment at the very end of my sermon. I said, if you have a problem with a people of a different ethnicity or color... If you have a problem with people of another religion, the best way to overcome that is to get a big old pocket full of gospel tracts and go soul winning in their neighborhoods every week for the next year and tell them about Jesus and give them the gospel and the Lord will take your prejudice away. Take the gospel off the leash. Take the gospel off the leash. And to their credit, they began that process here in Acts chapter number 11. The gospel had been let off the leash of prejudice. Number one, we see Peter scrutinized. Notice number two, the gospel spreads. The gospel spreads. Look at Acts chapter 11 and look at verse number 19. This is where we began this evening. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch. 
preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Here we find another way the gospel has come unleashed. Now, prior to the persecution of Stephen, the gospel was localized to Jerusalem. Why? The gospel was on the leash of comfortability. What was comfortable? Part of the reason why the gospel did not leave Jerusalem was because people were comfortable in Jerusalem. Take your Bible back to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Uh, They were comfortable there. They had their homes there. They had their families there. Uh, They had their friends there. They'd gone to school there. They knew their grocery stores there. They knew the streets there. Uh, They had their whole life there. Uh, Their social uh, networking was there. Not their social network. Facebook didn't exist back then, amen? But they were networked socially there. Uh, You all all, uh, need to wake up this evening. I'm trying to be funny and I'm not getting any. Amen. Give me a courtesy laugh. There we go. Thank you, Jason. All right. That was over the top. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 8. You say, if you start being funny, I'll start laughing. Until then, forget it. All right. Look at verse number 8. It says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Notice that next word. What is that next word? What is that next word? Speak to me tonight. What's that next word? Everybody. All right. The word's both. All right. One, two, three. Good job. All right. Both. You know what that means? There's a plurality here. You're not just supposed to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. Some of you are to go beyond Jerusalem. Look here, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, you know where this verse 8 happened? It happened right before Jesus ascended to heaven. Here's how I have always imagined verse 8 taking place. I think Jesus has got his disciples right outside Jerusalem on a mount. Where they can see Jerusalem. And he says, ye shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem. And they're all like, we got it, Lord. We love Jerusalem. We know Jerusalem. Jews are in Jerusalem. We're happy in Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem... And in all Judea. That's the region that, uh, that would be like our, one of our states. So this would be like saying, you shall be witnesses to me in Stratford and in Connecticut. And everybody's like, all right, so far so good. We know Stratford. We know Connecticut. And then he says, and unto Samaria. Well, Samaria, they didn't like the people in Samaria. They traveled around Samaria. Maybe that's like saying, and unto the inner city of New Haven. And Bridgeport. And Waterbury. And the Bronx. And I think maybe they kind of said, are you sure, Lord? You want, to take, you want us to take the gospel to people like that? And then he said, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Matthew 28, it's worded this way. Take the gospel to every creature. I'm sorry, Mark 16, take the gospel to every creature. To be very clear, he wasn't saying take the gospel to the Jews in the uttermost. He was saying take the gospel to the Gentiles too. And the disciples did what you and I often do. They heard from Jesus what they wanted to hear, and they ignored that which they did not want to hear. Both in Jerusalem. Why did the gospel spread? Because Stephen was martyred, and persecution came, and then they picked up and they moved. Then they were willing to, to take the gospel. Why? Because they were comfortable. They were comfortable. It may be that God has called you or is calling you to be a missionary to a foreign land. And you don't want to up and leave because you're comfortable. You know how God gets comfortable people to go where He wants them to go? He brings persecution into their life. Then you'll go. I don't want God to have to persecute me to get me where he wants me. I want to have a willing heart and say, Lord, I'll take the gospel off the leash of comfortability and I will go where you want me to go. 
You say, well, Pastor, who are you talking to tonight? I don't have any idea who I'm talking to tonight. I've seen people in their 70s surrender and go to the mission field. I've seen career men in their 50s and 60s sell their home and retire early and go to the mission field. I've seen single women in their 40s go to the mission field. I've seen young couples early in a career go to the mission field. But if God has been working in your heart about taking the gospel to the uttermost, and you don't want to let go of what's comfortable, God has the tool of persecution in his back pocket that he can use. You see, when persecution came, to get away from the persecution, they left. And when they did, they took the gospel with them. But we see that they were limited in who they gave the gospel to. Number three, notice, Barnabas sent. Barnabas sent. (coughs) Excuse me. We're going to go back and look at uh, the verses there. Verses 19, uh, 19, 20, and 21 in just a moment. Let me give you letter A first. Notice, the church exhorted. So, how did the gospel make it to the Gentiles and the first Gentile church get established? Well, that was a process. Look at verse 22. The tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent from Barnabas that that he should go as far as Antioch, who... When he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, look here, and exhorted them all, that's the church exhorted, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man, Barnabas was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. So a church gets established in Antioch. This is a Gentile town. This is a port town and uh, in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he's, uh, the church gets established, and uh, they, Jerusalem sends Barnabas to go and see what's going on and make sure uh, that uh, things are going well. How, how did this church get started? So the way this goes, uh, verse 20 tells us that Jews... Who lived, in, who lived in Jerusalem, went to Cyprus and Cyrene, and they uh, uh, witnessed to other Jews who got saved. Okay, so let me just make sure I got everybody's attention here, okay? Um, now, let's see, I need some help here. Brother Jason, if you could help me. And Brother Jason, we'll use two Jasons here. If you just stand up right where you are. Okay, so Jason here lives in Jerusalem. And he's, for the sake of this illustration, he's a Jewish man. And persecution comes, and he's fleeing the persecution. And so he leaves Jerusalem, and he goes to the city of Cyrene, where he can get away from the persecution. He buys a house, he gets established, and he meets this Jason. And this Jason, who lives in Cyrene, is also a Jew who's been there for a good long time. And so this guy says, hey, listen, I don't practice my Jewish culture anymore because I have become a Christian. I believed in Jesus, and he tells this Jason, and this Jason gets saved. So this Jew has now led this Jew to the Lord. But all the while, this Jew is around other Gentiles, and he keeps his mouth shut and doesn't share the gospel with these Gentiles. Why? Because of prejudice. He's only going to share the gospel with other Jews. Thank you. You can be seated. Come here, Jason. I need your help. Your turn, okay? All right. And so now this, this Jason, who's lived in Cyrene, has gotten saved, and he has a business trip to Antioch. And so off to Antioch, he goes, Brother Pierre, stand up for me if you don't mind. Brother Pierre? All right. And uh, Pierre here is a, a, does business, and he's a Grecian. He's a Gentile. He does business with his Jew in Antioch. These are business guys. And he doesn't know that he's not allowed to share the gospel with non-Jews. And so he tells the gospel to this guy, and lo and behold, the Lord saves him. And then he goes and tells the gospel to this Gentile, and he gets saved. And then this one gets saved. And then this one gets saved. And then these get saved. And then these get saved. And now, this knucklehead, who's a Jew, has gone, done, done, gone, and told all these Grecians, all these Gentiles, how to be saved. You aren't supposed to do that. Don't you know that? You blew it, buddy. Only the Jews are supposed to get saved. What are we going to do? And then all of the... Thank you, Brother Jason. Thank you, Brother Bear. All of these Gentiles form a church. 
in Antioch. By the way, I love, we're going to talk about the church of Antioch more in the weeks to come. I love the church of Antioch. Of all of the churches in the New Testament, the church of Antioch is my favorite, favorite, favorite church. Why? It was a port town. It was a port city. And it was multicultured and diverse in ethnicity. And they dwelled together in the gospel. And they were a mature church. And they loved the Lord. When Angela and I were, um, before we became pastors, we were working in Hagerstown, Maryland. And I, and I love that church, Emmanuel Baptist Temple in Hagerstown. I've still got friends there. But there was one thing I didn't really care for about that church. And um, it was that my wife was like the only Hispanic girl in the whole church. And pretty much everyone there was white. Now, to be fair, it was a rural farm community. And it was, uh, it was uh, represented, that church represented the demographic around them. But um, I, I looked at that church and I said, man, I just feel like I'd fit in a multicultural uh, ethnic church. Angela felt the same way. We went on vacation uh, down to Miami, Florida. We went to a Baptist church down there. And man, it was great. Like 30% of the church was white. 30% of the church was black. 30% of the church was uh, Asian and, um, or rather Hispanic. 10% of the church was Asian. And we went uh, for a Wednesday evening service. And we were like, this is where, this is the type of church we want to pastor one day. And lo and behold, God leads us to White Oak Baptist Church, which is an ethnically diverse church. And the very first time we came here as a couple and we saw this church, man, we were head over heels in love with this church. Remember the choir sang in Spanish while we were here. And uh, boy, we were just in love with the idea. That was the church of Antioch. But can you see how this happened? A Jew from Jerusalem told another Jew in Cyprus and Cyrene, these Jews go to Antioch and they tell non-Jews, and now people are getting saved, and a church is getting up and going, the gospel spreads, and now Barnabas is sent. Barnabas is sent. And what does Bar- and by the way, Barnabas was the perfect guy to go. You remember Barnabas, right? He was the one that sold all of the, that property and gave it to the church to help the poor. You remember this? His name was Joseph in Acts 4. He got renamed Barnabas. They renamed him Barnabas. And then you remember uh, Saul. You remember Saul? He got saved. And uh, he, he, he came to Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem church was like, whoa, stay over there. We don't trust you. Who was the one that brought uh, Saul in and gave him a chance? It was Barnabas. Barnabas, the encourager. Barnabas, the one who was willing to give people a chance. Barnabas was the one selected because Barnabas was probably the man of most clout with least prejudice in the church. He was the one that was selected and sent to Antioch to help get this new church established with these babes in Christ. Look again at verse number 23. And when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with the purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. You see his encouraging heart. He comes in and he encourages them. He exhorts them with purpose of heart. He, he gets them to cleave to the Lord. He's helping them get their doctrine established, their church polity in order. Look at verse 24. For he, Bar- Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Praise God for Barnabas. He was a man who looked past people's skin color, past people's ethnicity, past people's troubled pasts. Uh, He was the perfect man to go to Antioch and help this young church be established. These young Christians determined to cleave unto the Lord, and many more people in Antioch were added to the church, added unto the Lord. Then Barnabas came up with a brilliant idea. He went to Tarsus, and he found a man named Saul who was more or less sidelined from the work of the Lord. Let her be noticed, Saul established. Where did Saul get his first opportunity in full-time Christian work? He got it right here in the church of Antioch. He got it right here with Barnabas. Barnabas uh, left the church in Antioch and he traveled to Tarsus where Saul was originally from. And he said, hey, I want you to come co-labor with me and let's get busy doing the work of the Lord. Now at this point, Saul's already spent three years on the backside of the desert being trained by Jesus himself. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's uh, spent time with Barnabas and Peter and the church there didn't want him. And so he left and he went to Tarsus and he's really, we don't know what he was doing, but he really was limited in what he could do. Look at verse 25. 
Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. This would later be Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Barnabas reached down and took Saul who was sidelined and said, let's go work together. Let's go do this together. Now, Saul was a man of Tarsus, and while he did not fit in the church of Jerusalem because he had persecuted it, he was a perfect fit in Antioch. Why? Because Saul, while he was a Jew, he was also a Roman citizen. He could relate with Jews and Gentiles. And Barnabas was like, man, I just love everybody. Barnabas the encourager, Saul the young whippersnapper filled with zeal and able to look past people's troubled past and ethnicity and skin color. These two guys got together and they got uh, uh, rolled up their sleeves and they got busy and they preached the gospel and they discipled people and people were getting saved and baptized and discipled and man, things were happening in Antioch. The disciples, verse 21 tells us, were first called Christians in Antioch. The word Christian means little Christ or those like Christ. Now, while the church would explode in numerical growth, the church clearly exploded in spiritual growth. How do we know this? These brand new babes in Christ, these Grecians in Antioch, these Folks in Antioch are getting saved, and Saul and Barnabas are grounding them in the Lord, helping them to get rooted in Christ. And people outside the church start to take notice and say, those folks are different. Those folks are different. Those folks remind us of what we've heard in the character of Jesus the Christ. Let's call them Christians. So how was the gospel unleashed? Saul a man chosen and trained by God was pulled off the sidelines and put in the game. His zeal and knowledge would result in the establishment of the church throughout the Gentile world. Number one, we saw Peter scrutinized, the leash of prejudice broken. Number two, we see the gospel spreads, the leash of comfortability cut. Uh, number three, we saw Barnabas sent, the leash of a harbored grudge removed. Number four, notice the disciples selflessness. The disciples' selflessness. Let me give you an A and a B here as well. Letter A, notice the drought prophesied. The drought prophesied. Now, this is a little-known passage. In fact, before I read it and really studied it for this message, I don't even know that I much even remembered uh, this. I probably, I've read it in my devotions many times, but didn't really give it much mind. But look at verse number 27 and 28. The Bible says, In these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth or drought or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So what happened here was that a prophet preacher from the church of Jerusalem named Agabus came and foretold of a great drought throughout the world. Many commentaries that I've read and many people that I uh, uh, look up to that know the Bible well, uh, many theologians believe that this drought was not worldwide. When the word world there is used, that the implication was that this drought went through the Roman Empire. This was the Roman Empire being punished for what they were doing to the Jewish state. So this would not have necessarily pertained to the Antioch church, but to the Jerusalem church. This drought would have hit the Jerusalem church. In essence, Agabus was there begging for help from the Antioch church for the Jerusalem church. And so Agabus comes and says, hey, back in Jerusalem, there's going to be this big drought. There's going to be this big problem, and we need your help. Letter B, notice their determination to give. Look at 29 and 30. Then the disciples, these are new babes in Christ, new disciples. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They say that after about five years or so, a church begins to take on 
the personality of its pastor. And so here we have Barnabas, Pastor Barnabas, and Pastor Saul, co-pastors or pastor and assistant pastor, however their structure was. Well, who was Barnabas? He was a benevolent, giving, generous man. And Agabus stands up and says, your brethren back in Jerusalem are about to face a big drought. We need your help. And I think Barnabas probably reached deep in his own wallet and said, I'll give first. You know what these disciples did? They said, we'll help our brethren. They all went home and talked it over with their families and determined and looked at what they could give and they reached deep and they gave much to the need of those that were hurting. The gospel unleashed leads people not only to salvation, but also leads them to a life of grace living and grace giving. You know what the beautiful thing about the gospel is? It doesn't just save people's souls from hell. It totally transforms their life. Radically transforms their life. How many of you have been saved long enough to look back over your shoulder before you were saved and realize I am nowhere near the same person I was before I got saved? Aren't you glad God's grace reached down and touched you? Aren't you glad that someone unleashed the gospel into your life so you could be saved? Someone said, but for the grace of God, there go I, right? You say, well, how is the gospel unleashed present in the last part of this chapter? These people before were selfish businessmen worried about making a buck. Now they've been saved, they're in this church, they're discipled, and they're reaching in their pockets and they're giving for other brethren in other churches that are hurting. I want you all to ask yourself a question deep down in your heart tonight. Here's the question. Do I believe the gospel works? Ask yourself that question. Do I believe the gospel works? I think everyone in here said to themselves, yes, I believe that. Then I want to ask you another question. Have you taken it off the leash and let it go? Or do you have the gospel leashed up? Ask yourself this, how am I holding the gospel back? Do you have the gospel on the leash of ignorance? Get to know the gospel on a deep enough level to where you can share it with anyone and everyone who will listen and then watch it transform lives. How are you holding the gospel back? Do you have the gospel on the leash of laziness? Then what you need to do is reprioritize your life and reprioritize the gospel and your duty to share it. How are you holding the gospel back? Do you have the gospel on the leash of fear? Someone being rescued from hell is far more important than you being embarrassed. It's far more important than you being rejected while you're trying to share the gospel. How are you holding the gospel back? Do you have the gospel on the leash of comfortability? Many people are far too comfortable to go where God wants them to go and say what God wants them to say. Comfort is the leash holding back the power of the gospel. I believe that the leash of comfortability, the leash of ignorance, the leash of laziness, and the leash of fear are the four greatest leashes that we have as Christians in America around the neck of the gospel. We need to reach down and unclip that leash and let the gospel go and watch it hit communities and hit towns and hit hearts and, 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 and go across seas and, and, and go to other places and watch the gospel reach down in people's lives and radically change them. 
Many, many, many Christians think that America is a lost cause, that it's a ship that sailed and it's so secular it can never be salvaged. And that, that very well may be, but here's what I know is that as powerful as Satan is attacking our country with secularism and humanism and all of the evils that he uses, the gospel is far more powerful. And if Christians in America would wake up and take the leash off the gospel and let it go, we could turn this country back around for the Lord. Now, I can't control what Christians in Kansas do, and I can't control what Christians in California do, but I can control what I do, and you can control what you do, and we can reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to be willing to take the leash off the collar of the gospel and let it go. Let it go. In Acts chapter 11, that's exactly what happened. And we're going to see for the remainder of the book... Paul goes wild with the gospel. And you and I are sitting here today because the gospel was unleashed some 2,000 years ago. How about you tonight? You carry tracks around with you? Are you passing those out like Maxine? Wherever you go? How about you tonight? Do you know how to tell someone how to be saved? Are you ready to do that? Are you willing to do that? Let's take the leash off the gospel. Let's have our heads bowed nice close tonight. Lord, the day is coming very soon where you'll return. And you're going to rapture us out of here. And in that moment, our work on earth will be done. Our opportunities to share will be over. Our privilege to see people saved will be no more. Lord, we'll be gathered to heaven only to wring our hands in concern for those we care about left here on earth. Oh God, help us to take the gospel and let it go. Let it do its work. Lord, help us never to be the reason why the gospel is limited. The power of the gospel is limited. Reach into each of our hearts tonight. Helps to find something or some way to be more vocal with the gospel. Lord, be with us tonight. Move in our midst. Challenge each one of us personally. In Jesus' name, amen.